Well, good morning, everybody. For those of you I do not know, my name is Mike. It's an honor to welcome you here to North Star this morning as we continue this series, One Another. It's been a fun series that we've been working on over the past few weeks, but it's been quite a weekend here at North Star. On Friday night, we turned this campus into a basically a prom, and we put on an event called Tim Tebow sponsors it, Night to Shine. We had over 150 young kings and queens, they call them, that got to be here to dance the night away. We had a couple hundred volunteers. They had shoe shiners. They had people painting nails. They had a spa for the parents. It was a phenomenal. Henry's uh, in Ackworth and Chick-fil-A hosted all the food that night. And you may have seen it on Fox 5. Denise Dillon did a great special on it. It was an incredible night. Would y'all just thank the Lord for the great job everybody did? Courtney and Christy and their team Friday night. It was awesome. Then last night, we had a great leadership guy named Brett Pyle. And we had over 220 men here last night for a training event. He's doing a small group training this morning. And so uh, I walked in. I came flying in from a ball game last night and got to be a part of that event. It was awesome. So all that to say, if you step on a balloon or there's a piece of chicken under your chair, I apologize, all right? And so it's been a crazy weekend here at Nordstrom, but that's how we like it. And then today, we get to continue our series after a little snow yesterday. How many of y'all were thinking, I wonder if we're going to have church when that snow was coming down? Slackers, all right? It's unbelievable. You just wanted to get out of church. We were to and I were sitting there going, you think we'll get to cancel? Then we'll get to cancel, but it ended up being a bright. I was at a ball game last night. One of our players said, uh, five o'clock, you know, it snowed, it rained, and then the sun came out. And one of the players said to me, coach, it's like we've had all four seasons in one day. I was like, it was just the weather. He's like, well, you know what I meant, all right? And so whatever it was. Uh, Valentine's Day is this week. Big day, little hint, hint, Valentine's is coming up. So in light of Valentine's Day, we're going to be talking about love one another. But nobody knows love better than children. So this morning, I wanted to share with you some thoughts from children about love. I know you'll enjoy them. Glenn, age seven, said this about love and marriage. If falling in love is anything like learning how to spell, I don't want to do it. It takes too long. All right? That's what Glenn, that's what Glenn said. John H. Nine said, love's like an avalanche. You always have to run for your life, all right? And so that's, that's what John said. Dave said this, love will find you, even if you're trying to hide from it. I've been trying to hide from it since I was fine, five, but the girls keep finding me, all right? That's what, that's what Dave said. This is about kissing. This is Kurt, age seven. The law says you have to be 18. I don't want to mess with that, all right? And so evidently his parents have gotten to Kurt. They've, they've told him, beauty, this is from Anita, age eight. If you want to be loved by somebody who isn't already in your family, it doesn't hurt to be beautiful. All right, that's what Anita, that's what Anita said. Christine said, this is great. Now, you're talking about mom getting to Kurt, mom and dad getting to Kurt. Listen to Christine, age nine. Beauty is skin deep, but how rich you are can last a long time. All right, and so they've taught her. It's not the company you keep, it's the company they own, all right? And so, Brian, age seven, it isn't always how you look. Look at me, I'm as handsome as anything, and I haven't got anybody to marry me yet, all right? That's what Brian said. This is great. What do mom and dad have in common? Lori, age eight, both don't want no more kids, all right? And so that's what Lori said. (laughs) That's funny. How do you tell if two people are married? Eddie, age six, married people usually look happy to talk to other people. All right, that's what Eddie said. 
<laughs> Derek, age eight, said, you might have to guess based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same kids. All right, that's what Derek said. That's how you know their parents. How do you decide who to marry? Kirsten, age 10. No person really decides before they grow up who they're gonna marry. God decides it all the way before, and you get to find out who later who you're stuck with. All right, that's what Kirsten said. And this is my final one today. Good advice about love. Tell your wife that she looks pretty, even if she looks like a truck. All right, Ricky, age seven. That's pretty good, isn't it? So, what is, those are funny. What does the Bible have to say about love? Here's the crazy thing. The Bible has a lot to say about love. I want you to take your Bible this morning and turn to the book of John. John chapter 13 is where we're going to camp out today. This, this passage that we're going to read was, read was written by John, who ascribed this gospel, but it's written as words that Jesus shared that have huge significance. Now, John was the disciple who he said that Jesus loved the most. John was also the disciple that when Jesus was on the cross, he told John that, that Jesus' mother, Mary, was now his mom, and Mary, this is now your son, so I'm leaving them in your care. That's basically what happened when Jesus was on the cross. John has a lot to say about love, but his, his, his thought that he takes down from the life of Jesus has massive significance for us. So Jesus spent three years with these disciples. He knew that his time was coming up. In fact, we're about to begin a new series on the last words of Jesus. And these were in the last days of Jesus when he uttered these words. He knew that he wasn't going to be around a lot longer. He knew that he wasn't going to be there much longer to show them what to do. And so he shares this with them. And he calls it a new commandment. He, he says that I'm giving something that's going to outlast me. John chapter 13, would you stand with me today as we read God's word together? John chapter 13, we're going to start reading down in verse 34. See, we could walk around this room this morning, I could take a microphone, and, and view your views of love would be like these kids. They're, they're sort of all over the map. They're based on your life and your experience. Today, we're going to form what love looks like from God's view, not our view. This is what he says, John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus looks at his disciples, and he says this, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Well, that wasn't the first time they'd heard this. It wasn't the first time that they were encouraged to love. But Jesus is about to take this a little deeper. He said, guys, I'm giving you something you've got to know the value of and you've got to understand the importance of. Jesus said, I'm giving you something new that you love one another, but then he doesn't leave it there. Just as I have loved you, I want you to love to my standard of loving. I want you to love to my standard of giving. See, Jesus knew that in a few short hours, he was going to give up his life to prove his love. And he looks at his disciples and he said, here's, here's the importance, guys. you got to love as I've loved you. But then he throws this out for you and me this morning. By this, by how you love, will all people know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. 
They're not going to care how many books you've read. They're not going to care how many church services you've attended. They're not going to care how many small groups that you've gone to. They're not going to care that you got a magnet for your church on your donkey. All right? They're not going to care any of that. They're going to know that you are one of mine by how you love one another. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Would y'all pray with me? God, we all walk in this morning on two wheels, running in on two wheels and busy weekend craziness. But God, we can't live out your call in our lives if we don't get this. We can't be based on what Jesus said. We can't be who you created us to be if we don't get this vital topic. So God, we ask you to pull up a chair in our lives today. Settle in to this room and may we hear clearly from you about what love really does look like. Speak to us, show us, teach us, push us, challenge us to be the people that you created us to be. And so God, we invite you in and God, we invite you to teach. And I pray it now in Jesus' name, amen. Before you're seated, find somebody around you. Remember, go, remember Valentine's Day is this week, all right? Tell somebody around you, it's a little extra reminder, a little extra reminder, and you can be seated. <clears throat> See, the crazy part about what Jesus said was, this wasn't a new thing, it was a new way of doing it. There was more than the challenge to just love. There was a challenge in this to love like he loved. That's the catch. And you know all the disciples are scratching their head. Remember, that doesn't all make sense to them yet, but it's going to. In a few short hours, it's all going to bear down on them where all this is going to begin to make sense. And I, I would even say in the world that we live in, we need love more now, more now than we've ever needed it. Would you all agree with that? How many of y'all would agree there's more hatred in the world than love? Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. You know, we're, we live in a world, we live in a climate, and if we disagree, we don't just disagree anymore. We hate each other. By this, remember what Jesus said, by this, they will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. You can have the, all the greatest knowledge in the world, you don't have love, that work. So how do we live out this new way of doing it? How do we live out this new commandment that he left for us? What do we need to know? What do you and I need to know? The great, the great writer Carl Menninger said, love is the medicine for a sick world, and it really is. So how do we do that? Pen, pencil, something to write with this morning. To write down a couple thoughts. You got the app out. You can type it in, or you got the little notes out. You can write them in. To do this, we got to do number one, we got to make time for others. We've got to make time for others. Now, under that, I want you to write down two words, okay? Selfish or selfless. Those are your two words. Selfish or selfless. None of us wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and go, I need to be more selfish today. I mean, nobody does. Nobody looks at it and goes, you know, I need to make sure that I take care of me first. Nobody has to think about that. We do it naturally, right? Selfishly, 
the only person I really need to make time for is me. That's selfish. Selfless says others are more important than me. Selfish says I'm most important. Selfless says others are important. Here's what we know. When Jesus gave this new commandment, it was a selfless commandment. Look at the way Paul wrote it in Philippians chapter 2. Don't look out for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Here's the, here's the hardest part of this one. We want to be graded on what we say, not what we do. Because we know what to say. Doing it's the hard part, right? Jesus says, listen, if you are going to love the way I'm telling you to love, you've got to make time for others. So as, a, and I'll take a guy because I'm a guy, and so we'll, we'll just sort of go from that vantage point. I remember those years when the kids were growing up, and I remember coming home and them waiting on me when I walked in the door to do something, and I was tired and I was grouchy, and I didn't want to do it. And I remember Casey, I remember coming in from work. I remember like it was yesterday, Casey waiting at the door to go play catch. And I remember going, oh, gosh, just give me some time for who? Me. Selfish. I wish I could get back those times, Right? Now I show up at his door to want to play catch. He's 25, he's not interested, all right? And so it doesn't, doesn't work out so well anymore. Selfish, selfless, right? Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, it's how you love one another. Paul said, don't look out for only your own interests. You gotta look out for you, but don't look out for only you. You wanna build a great relationship with other people? Look out for them more than you look out for you. It's hard to not love someone who just chooses to love you in spite of you. It's a new way of loving. Well, Mike, I will love them when they reciprocate. That's not the deal. The deal is that we're called to love like he chose to love us. We gotta make room and we gotta make time for others in our lives. We gotta prioritize, here's the word ready, prioritize relationships. We gotta prioritize them. Isn't it funny how uh, we're super intentional about work, but very unintentional when we get home? We let home happen, but work we plan, and we wonder why we're not as efficient at home as we are at work. It's because we don't plan for it. We're not intentional. We don't prioritize. Make time for others. Point number two, ready? Make allowances for others. Make allowances for others. I want you to write a little statement down. This sounds terrible, but I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. People are going to let you down. Would you write that down? Even people that you love. People are going to let you down. Even people that you love. All right, everybody look at me. All eyeballs on me. Compass, true north. Somebody is going to hurt you that you love. Somebody's going to disappoint you that you love. Somebody that you're counting on 
isn't going to come through like you thought they were going to come through. I don't know how many times somebody's come to Norster and they're like, Mike, I'm so glad to be here because at my last church, the pastor disappointed me. No pressure, all right? And so, <laughs> let me go ahead and let myself off the hook. I am going to disappoint you. There's gonna be something I'm gonna forget. There's gonna be something I'm not gonna show up for. Make allowances for others. Isn't it funny we want other people to, judge, to judge our intentions, not our actions? But yet with other people, we judge their actions, not their intentions. Make allowance for others. To love them does not mean you will agree with them. To love them does not mean they're always going to come through for you. To love them does not mean that you're going to change their opinion. To love them means that you just choose to love them in spite of them hurting you. See, here's, here's the danger. All right, I'm going to give you a couple words to write down. This is something we all go through. If in your life, I'm just going to say in your lifetime, you have been hurt by somebody you love. And we're not going to name the hurt. We could, it could be a million. It could be a parent that left you when you were a child. It could be they yelled at you. It could be a, a spouse that hurt you, a, a child that hurt you. It could be anything, all right? You have been hurt somewhere in your life. Would you raise your hand? All of us, universal, we've all been hurt. Hurt happens. Here's where it gets interesting. What you choose to do with the hurt is going to be the question. If you make allowances and you forgive quickly, you will heal. But if you don't, here's the progression. The hurt, I want you to write out beside it the word grudge. You hold a grudge against them. Oh, man. Somebody brings them up, and it gets on your nerves. You don't pray for their best. In fact, you hear something bad happens to them, and here's the phrase that comes out of your mouth. Well, they'll get what's coming to them. That's a grudge. You don't think about it all the time, but it's there. It's like a burr in the saddle, you know? It's like a splinter in your finger. You will get hurt. What you do with it is going to see if we have this new kind of love or not. If, if I don't, if I don't make allowances for others, I'm going to hold a grudge against them. But the grudge never stays a grudge. We don't just stay, well, you know. It becomes a grudge. becomes something even bigger. A grudge turns into resentment. Would you write that word down? Oh, we resent them. We will openly tell somebody, yeah, I don't like them for this. Have you ever met somebody that just doesn't like anybody? Have you ever been talking, about, talking to somebody and they're like, oh, yeah, I don't like them? And you're like, they're the nicest person in the world. It might be you, all right? I mean, that's what you want to say. But you, you become resentful. You, you could never pray their life would be blessed because they hurt you. And now it's become a grudge and now it's become resentment. And buddy, it's burning in, our, burning in us. The problem with it is it doesn't stay resentment. Here's the next word. Here's the dangerous word. It turns into bitterness. 
We don't think about them sometimes. Bitterness is when you think about them all the time. You're in church and you're praising and you're worshiping and it comes to your brain. You see one of their friends, you see them. And boy, it begins to to boil. And here's, here's when you know it's bitterness. You want ill for them. It's not that you don't pray that they'll be blessed. Now you're wanting something bad to happen. And we say this all the time, bitterness is a poison that we intend for somebody else, but we end up drinking ourselves. And it soils us. And we're in relationships, and this happened, this hurt happened 20 years ago. We can't let go of the hurt, so you know what we do? We take it out on everybody around us. Something they didn't have anything to do with. That's what bitterness does. I want you to listen to what Paul says in the book of Ephesians. This is powerful if we can live this out. Be, what's the first word there? To one another. I remember telling a guy one time, and they were in for counseling. I said, you know the greatest thing you could ever do? Just start being nice. Be kind to one another. But listen to what he said. Tenderhearted. What's the next word? Say it again. One another. You know what Paul knew? Paul knew people were going to get hurt then. Decide in advance you're going to forgive. Well, Mike, that's letting them off. What's the option? Hold on to it. Take the bat that I've been wanting to hit them with and really in reality, I'm just beating myself with it. But here's the catch. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave who? How many of you have ever done something in your life to let God down? Some of you didn't raise your hand. You just did. You lied. All right. So it's not good. Not good. He chose to forgive us when he didn't have to. Yes or no? Could God have held a grudge against us? Yes or no? Well, Mike, they hurt me more than once. How many of you have let God down more than once? Every day. Like, I can't move on in my life because that word forgiveness won't let us. We just hold on to it. And we wonder why we can't move ahead because we won't let go of what happened. Doesn't mean you let them run over you again, but what it does mean is you leave the results to God and you say, God, if you could forgive me, I've got to forgive them and I'm moving on. There's a book called Total Forgiveness by R.T. Kendall, best book on forgiveness I've ever read. I promise you, you won't be able to read through it in a direct sitting. If you've been hurt by somebody, you will read it and you'll have to put it down and go, I gotta come back to that later. The deeper the hurt, the deeper the wound, the harder the forgiveness. You know what I've learned in my life? I've learned that the quicker I forgive, the better off I am. And sometimes it's not a one-time forgiveness. I got to remind myself over and over and over. Nope, I left them off for that. Make time for others. 
make allowances for others. Number three, make room for others. I want you to write down this thought under number three. I need relationships. I need relationships. Welcome those who are different than you. That don't make the money you make. That don't drive what you drive. That don't live where you live. Make room for others in your life. The better you are with people, the more rounded your life can be. The more critical you are, the more selfish you are. I always know I'm in trouble spiritually. So you know, like in our car, we have the check engine light comes on. You know what my personal check engine light is? Is when I get critical of people. That's when my check engine light needs to come on. All of a sudden, I'm not thinking good about people. I'm thinking ugly about it. And I do that. It's like you do. Look at what Paul told the church at Rome, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You know what I pray this church is represented by? Everything you could imagine. Does it mean that I agree with everybody in this room? No. Does it mean you'll agree with me? No, but, but we choose to love each other. We make room for others. Finally, number four. We make sacrifices for others. You can't separate love and sacrifice. You can't say, I love you, if you're not willing to give up something for them. You can't say it. Love and sacrifice are always tied together. They're they're conjoined. John wrote this in his epistle. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers, husbands, and Ephesians. Paul wrote, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. For her. I want you to write down a little thought. Love delights to give. This word's used all throughout the Gospels and all throughout the epistles. Ready? The word is demonstrates. Write that down. Demonstrates. But he demonstrated his love. Everybody look at me. What if we learned to sacrifice? Like he sacrificed for us. Well, Mike, I, I, uh, I, why would I do that when I don't know what the return's going to be? Well, that's not love. Love is sacrificing and expecting nothing in return. Correct? Isn't that agape love? It's love with no strings. You know you're loving when you're not waiting on the return. See, we're always waiting to, we're hedging our bets. I'll love if they, when they, I'll, no, 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 no. Love sacrifices. It demonstrates. It shows. You know, I think a lot about 
my kids when they were growing up, <clears throat> they had the, 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 the gift of having their dad as a pastor. Now that's fun. That's a joy, right? That's it's great. I remember we were going to do a devotional as a family, and Ann's like, we don't need a sermon. We just need a devotion. And the kids are like, oh, God, the same stories. Here we go again. And so, but you know, I think about it now. Will they know I love them by the title that I wore? Or will they know that I love them because I served them? Will they know that I was a follower of his by my title? Or will they know that I was a follower of his by how I loved them when they didn't deserve to be loved? But nobody was watching. No, nothing being recorded, nobody there. How'd I serve their mom? Was it about me or was it about them? Oh, there's plenty of times it was about me. Here's the crazy part. I don't get to show them anymore. At home, they're out on their own. We want to keep it that way. All right, they're out on their own now. They're, they're living their life. I, want, I, I hope they enjoy it. But it doesn't mean I get to stop serving Ann. We've been married 28 years. I pray I serve her better now than I did 28 years ago. I should. I love her more now. But you know what I found about my life? And this may not be true of you. I haven't gotten more selfless as I've gotten older. In fact, I've gotten more selfish. I mean, this year I'm going to turn 30 this year. And so, it's a, and so as, I, as I get older, as I get older, I, selfishness is not anything I got to work at. Selflessness is. <clears throat> Back in the 1980s, there was a televangelist. So some of you guys, you, you won't remember this, but stories is impactful either way. His name was Jim Baker. Jim Baker built a great ministry up in Charlotte, North Carolina. Millions of followers, sending in money, building a theme park. And I mean, he had a TV show, the whole bit. He and his wife. Well, come to find out, Charlotte Observer started doing some checking around and come to find out he wasn't putting all their money to good use. Jim Baker, the evangelist, the pastor who started out, I think, with incredible intentions, who got a little skewed along the way, ended up being indicted, <clears throat> got sent away to prison that wasn't enough, he and his wife ended up divorcing. In his book, he tells the story of going from Jim Baker, who was a household name at that time, to Jim Baker, who was inmate number blah, 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 blah. He was given the glorious task in prison of being in charge of the bathroom, the showers. Every day, he'd go with his mop, and he would mop. And every day, he would get in that filthy shower and get down and have to scrub it clean every day. And he said, every day I was reminded of my guilt. Every day I was reminded of my shame. 
Every day I was reminded of all the people I'd let down. All the money that I had raised that now people weren't getting anything back for. What a disgrace I'd become to the name of Christ and to the church. He said, and every day, I wondered why anybody would ever want to love me. He said, there was a day I was down. I was filthy and dirty, and I was scrubbing the floor, cleaning it. And the guard walked in and said, you have a visitor that walked in this room. He said, which is super unusual because usually we had to go to the front of prison to see a guest. And so he said, I'm filthy dirty. I have no time to change clothes. I have no idea because nobody was coming to see me. Why would you want to see me? You don't want to tell anybody you went and saw Jim Baker. They'd scream at you. You know what he did? Do you know what he was guilty of? He said, I put my brush and my sponge in the bucket and I stood up and I looked across the room at a man who just walked across the room a man I couldn't repay a man who was the antithesis of what I had become who was the total opposite of what I was and this man just took me and he wrapped me in his big old arms and told me he loved me and that God loved me God wasn't done with me. His name was Billy Graham. Jim Baker in his book said, I had nothing to offer him. But he loved me anyways. I love that story. Because nobody knows that story. Billy Graham never stood up and told the story. See, Billy Graham preached to millions and millions, hundreds of millions of people all over the world. I never met Billy Graham. One day when I get to heaven, I'm going to meet him. You may be standing in line in front of me. I will cut you. All right, I will get in front of you because there's no sin in heaven. I will just get in line and go, I deserve to be here. I told the story. I never got to meet Billy Graham. But I believe that was the greatest sermon he ever preached. By this, they will know that you are my disciples, that you, what's the word? Help me out. That you what? Love. One another. Congratulations on being in church. Doesn't make you a disciple. Congratulations, you go to a small group. Doesn't make you a disciple. Thanks for listening to a podcast. Doesn't make you a disciple. By this, they will know that you are my disciples, how you love one another. Would you pray with me? God, I was so excited to teach this one and there's part of me that dreaded it. Because I know how far short I fall and how selfish I can be with my time. I think I'm owed something. I think I've earned something. I think something's beneath me. It's not love. Maybe you're sitting in here today and you say, Mike, um, I've been hurt. I didn't forgive it. 
that hurt turned into a grudge and that grudge has turned into a resentment and I see bitterness coming up here soon. And I don't want that to be my life. I don't want that to be my story. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna be remembered as that critical guy or that critical lady or that mean person who couldn't get over something. I want to forgive, but I'm struggling and I need God's help. I promise you, you're not alone. If that's you here today, would you just lift up your hand right where you are? If that's your story today, just lift it up. Whatever it is, I want you to give it to your father, would you? Take that resentment, take that hurt, take that grudge, take that bitterness and say, God, it's yours, it's not mine. You forgave me, I'm going to forgive. And it's gonna be a process. But I wanna take a step that direction today. That could be a life-changing day for you. May we forgive just as Christ forgave us. Maybe you're sitting in the room today and you say, Mike, I, I want people to know that I'm a disciple because I tell them I go to church. I want people to know that I'm a disciple because I got a magnet on my car. I, I want people to know that I'm a disciple because of what I do. Mike, I want people to know that I'm a disciple because of how I love them, even when they disagree with me, even when I don't agree with them politically or socially or with my values and their values. Would you just tell the Lord that right now? Father, we love you. Thanks for loving us first. God, thanks for never asking us to do something you didn't first do to show us we could do. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.